Hey everyone, and welcome back to Channel Talks. Uh, for those who are new, what we do is deconstruct all things relating to customer success, installed based selling, customer retention, asset lifetime value, and everything relating to how to make the channel successful in this so-called new world. I do want to do a quick thank you, and that is to everyone who has been a fan of Channel Talks. Uh, when I started this just over a year ago, I had no idea that we would become uh, so big, uh, trending so much, uh, being recognised as uh, one of the leading uh, podcasts and, um, and, and, and video casts for the channel uh, internationally. Pretty good for an Aussie, so I'm loving that. And uh, yeah, thank you to everyone for, 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 for all that, that support. But it is testament to the quality of guests that we have. And today's no different. And I've got the extreme pleasure of uh, having Carl Sudelid here, the Senior Vice President of Worldwide Channel Sales for Palo Alto Networks, longtime friend. Uh, we uh, met uh, several years ago, but uh, the most important thing is that Carl has been around in the channel for over 30 years. Carl has an absolute uh, identity in the channel, but also the experience to back it in knowing how to make channels successful by understanding where that direct sales motion comes. So, Carl, welcome. Um, I dare say one of my favourite all-time vendors, had a lot of success with them. And Scott, you and I were very, very early in the process with Palo Alto Networks with Distribution Absolutely. Central. So I'm very excited about being able to go down memory lane a little bit because it'll be really important in terms of how this whole um, custom success uh, phenomena has, uh, has evolved. Um, so without further ado, I'm going to ask you, Carl, to do a quick introduction of yourself and then you, Scotty, and then I'll get into it. Sure. Thank you. And thanks, Nick and Scott, for inviting me. It's my pleasure and honor to be here with the both of you today. So again, Carl Soderlund, Palo Alto Networks. I'm on my, believe it or not, Nick, fifth year here at Palo Alto Networks. Yeah. So I'm responsible for uh, the worldwide channel sales. So that includes the program, the strategy, the direction, where we're going. So I have the, the opportunity to, instead of living on a 90-day life cycle, really look 12, 18, 24 months out. So my job is to really see if I can look around corners on where the market's going, what trends we're seeing, how we invest, and how we can hopefully make our partner ecosystem more successful in the future. So I'm excited to be here with you both. So thank you again. Yeah, you're welcome, man. And Scotty, quick intro to anyone that's new to you. Scott Frew, Chief Executive Officer and founder of ISET.com. Uh, deep history of nearly 40 years in channels, built multiple distributors, sold them to uh, US distributors and uh, have continued on supporting the channel through um, operational uh, efficiencies with our platform. Thanks, guys. Uh, well, I'm going to start uh, by talking about what is now an old phenomenon for everyone that's, uh, uh, that's talking right now for, for us three, but not necessarily a new phenomenon for the entire channel. And it originally started, and I'm talking to two pioneers here, so I'm very excited, um, in uh, what was called lifetime value of an asset. All right. And the ability to be able to understand that if you sell something to a customer, there's more to sell them to ensure that you're giving them perpetual value. And, mm -hmm. and, and it, what was amazing was that a security company, Palo Alto Networks, was the pioneer in this movement, not a networking vendor, not a software vendor, but a cybersecurity vendor. And it's been a phenomenal success. I've lived it. Scott's lived it. Carl, can you uh, talk to our viewers about the origins of it, why it was important, what made it important, and how, in particular, it's evolved into today when we're talking yeah. about a very new world, uh, in particular, a hybrid cloud world? Yeah, sure. 
So it's interesting, Nick, you mentioned that it's surprising that a cyber vendor would be the one where I actually look at it and say, I think it's pretty logical. And, and the logic comes from one thing about cybersecurity, because the market's been around long enough now that we can look back and say, is it's constantly changing and evolving. So it's not about uh, being able to rest on your laurels and solving a problem for today. The problem today that you solve, you're already behind the eight ball for what you're trying to solve tomorrow. So when we look at lifetime value, it was a way to look at our um, customer environment that's sold through our partners. And we say, what have they invested in? Where have they invested in? And where is there potentially more opportunity? So it's not a from a capitalist standpoint saying, how can we sell more faster? It's truly how can we increase your security posture by looking at other aspects of your business. So your data center may be secure, but is your branch office? Your branch office may be secure, but is your mobile environment? And now in the world, like you said about hybrid cloud, well, what is that engagement model with the CSPs or the cloud service providers that you have? And are you securing the data transfer that's there? So we started tracking this, and this is gonna make us all feel old, in 2009. We initially came out with the term lifetime value and started tracking this. And we measure it every year. So when we sit down with our partners, and many of you who are our partners know that during our quarterly reviews, we'll talk about the lifetime value of the assets that you've sold to your install base and where they sit. And we know right now that there's about a 6x to 10x growth rate that they'll experience. So for every dollar sold, what they can actually continue to sell. So part of this is just traditional motivation of saying the old adage of never leave money on the table from a salesperson's standpoint of saying there's more opportunity that's there. So Palo Alto Networks, which cut its teeth as a next-gen firewall, which now we view ourselves as a security portfolio and platform. But are you asking the questions and are you looking around the customer's corners to make sure that you're helping them as much as possible? So we have proof points to show that when you do execute on the lifetime value model, your revenues increase, your margins increase, and your services opportunity increase. So it's, it's exciting times. And as we look at this hybrid cloud environment, and then I'll pass it over to Scott, what we're seeing is there's more complexity. And where there's complexity, there's opportunity for the partner community. And I look at it saying opportunity to sell more and solve more of their problems. But also, I think this services economy can be one that we can't look past. We really need to say, how are we wrapping services around this? And how are we looking at it? Services not only from pre-sales consulting, but all the way through full-blown managed services and that life cycle management. And that's the part that excites me right now for the next few years moving forward, because we're in the infancy of that with our, with our overall ecosystem of partners. Yeah, that, that, Carl, that is awesome. And Scott, I, I want you to respond, but I'll, let me frame it first because uh, Carl did, did talk a lot. Of, he said the word how a lot in, uh, when he was talking to that. And I will get to the metrics because metrics are so important uh, in this because we're so early in the process. So Scott, can you talk about how that gets executed at a practical level? Because you and I sat in a meeting many, many moons ago with the two marks of Palo Alto Networks and they explained to us this is the challenge. And you jumped in and said, I've got a platform that does this. <laughs> and, then well, it true. and then it went boom. And Carl would have been in many advisory councils that I sat in where I used to sit there with a big smile on my face where the metrics and the numbers used to go up on the board. And I used to just sit there and he probably looked at me and said, you cocky bastard. But <laughs> how? 
Well, so my uh, experience with Palo Alto when we first signed them on at uh, Distribution Central was to load everything we possibly could into the platform. And within that year, we became the fastest growing Palo distributor on the planet. And when I sold the business, I think we were still at number five globally. So really what the lifetime value piece is, as Mark Anderson said to me, to your point, Carl, about the six to 10X over lifetime value, I actually think it's a lot higher than that, or at least that was our experience. So to take the Ray Kroc model from McDonald's, You've already spent all this money to get the burger, which is the customer in the room with the initial sale, the initial maintenance, and making sure that you sell everything that surrounds that appliance or cloud consumption piece. And then it's about making sure that you present unsolicited quotes as the lifetime of this product goes on and on and on. And I know as a Palo customer myself, which protects our infrastructure, we need to make sure that you're presenting back to us through your channel what we need next to make sure that we're keeping out the nasties that are out there on the uh, internet. So, you know, the invest part, which is how do I find, you know, all the boxes without wildfire, if wildfire is still a thing, or, you know, a new add-on or a new acquisition, I want to go and present that to all of these customers. It's about knowing where those customers are, who the reseller is that sold the appliance, potentially the distributor if they're engaged in this process as well, so that you're not just broadcasting marketing promo material, which is what most manufacturers do. You're actually targeting with the quote information direct to the guy who actually is going to have the impact. It's going to have the impact too. So important because what you guys have been talking about is there is one school of thought around the strategy that talks about the possibility or potential but what you do, as soon as you have a platform that executes on that strategy, well, firstly, you've got to have a strategy and then you have something to execute on it. And that's when you get to true, you know, lifetime value. But what you actually do is get to the point where you do have customer success. All well and good, you've got to measure it. And Carl, you, you mentioned measuring and metrics a lot. We talk about, talk about it in terms of net dollar retention. You have your own metrics. Can you go into those and talk about what does success look like in a true um, uh, installed base selling motion, especially when you're adding additional technologies that need to be attached to what you've already sold, but also from the ac acquisition point of view and how yeah. you mine that installed base to be able to make your customers successful. So it's a great point, Nick. And I think one of the things I will say is that in order to be able to drive lifetime value from a manufacturer, you need to be an innovator. I mean, that's that's what it comes down to because yeah. only so much you can sell and how you can expand. So if I look at Palo Alto Networks, for example, over the last three years, we've acquired 12 plus companies. We've spent over $2 billion on inorganic growth, not to mention about the 70 plus technologies that we've come out with organically. So unless you have that innovation where you can actually go to market, that's really going to be a challenge for you. So when you think about who you're working with and who you're partnering with, and you look at total addressable market, total addressable market is nice to have, but if you can't retire that total addressable market, that's a challenge. So when we track the metrics, it's interesting because we go down to exactly what was sold initially what their environment looks like, what they should be positioning next. And then we set targets and we inspect those targets on that in collaboration, not in a overlord way, but in a way of saying, here's where we believe there's an opportunity. So if you're selling the next gen firewall, but if you haven't looked at the cloud business yet, where's the pathway to the cloud and how we can do that? And then what those steps are that's along the way. And with that just doesn't mean 
We just don't pass the buck and say, here you go, go do it. We say, here's how you get the capabilities and competencies. Here's how you build services around a practice to be able to do that. So with our larger partners who have a, a larger install base, we can really slice and dice their install base from multiple different angles, leverage that level of business intelligence. And it's candidly, it's probably the best business intelligence that we have at Palo Alto Networks. And then we can really give them a pathway to success from where we see other folks and what they're selling. So, and it also allows us then the partner to align and work with our field selling team really closely because we're saying the same thing, going in with the same mission. So we're not going in different directions or in the worst case, I don't know about you, if you've seen this in your, your career, but working in parallel, doing the same thing and not being aligned. So it really is a beautiful handshake between the company and the partner to drive success for the end user, which we're really at the end result, we have the end user's best interest in mind. And that's what we're really working towards. Yeah, I think I think you've got a point there, Carl. A lot of the manufacturers that we go and talk to are incredibly siloed, and this is where it all falls apart. So you have, you know, Wall Street wants your net new numbers, so you've got your net new sales team who are not remunerated for renewals, and you just have a renewals team. And then there's no upsell team. There's never an upsell team. So it's actually getting a strategy that overlays all of your people to enable them to do all of the pieces and then the the added complexity of making sure your partners are doing it and they're not siloed out. Yeah, and we're going to talk about ecosystems later on because what you're both talking about is no no technology lives in isolation as much as no channel motion that gets to the end customer and gives them the most successful outcome lives in our isolation. Yep. So true, so important. Um, I like the 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 way that the first web program is is is, is constructed because it allows for that. But the ability to execute on that, all right, is 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 very important. Scott, I'm going to throw this one very quickly back to you because, um, without mentioning any names, um, we've got some very successful Palo Alto networks network partners, distributors, yes. and resellers and service providers executing seamlessly that way. How how does it happen? How does it work at a practical level? So. Um... Thinking of one that's probably at the leading edge as a Palo reseller, um, they their journey was they wanted to get their upstream distributor wasn't necessarily giving them everything they needed. So what they did was they deployed a platform, they connected it directly to their ERP system through APIs because you need the ERP to be in train to trigger life cycle events like invoices trigger the next life cycle. Uh, but now they're integrating up into the distributors uh, that they're dealing with and to their support desk. So what actually happens is initial net new quote comes out of our platform, customer accepts it, we tell the ERP what to bill, they then order the products, products come in, they go out, invoice is triggered and tells us that we've closed that loop and then you start the life cycle pieces. In some cases, they've already started the life cycle piece day one, especially if it's in a cloud environment or it started at nine months if it's a, a classic maintenance plus hardware type. So, And then uh, after the invoice is triggered, we then tell the uh, service management system what's been sold, where it is, the serial numbers, the contract numbers, all the details. So then the support desk has the initial upload and all of those systems are identical. There's no you know, uh, gaps between the data, which is historically a huge problem for uh, channel partners. And Carl, in that process, I, I, I'm of the opinion that the renewal is actually a commodity. 
It's more yeah. the attach. It's more the reference architectures. It's more the expand, and it's more yeah. the extend, and it's more that. Uh, you- Nick, no, I'm going to jump in on that one. So as part of our LIP strategy, protect, you know, what the one thing I try and get all the vendors to understand is protect, which is where we put renewals. You say it's commodity, but actually at that 90-day point or the 180-day point, you need to make a decision. Is the renewal the right next step? That's where a lot of manufacturers fall apart because they go through an automated renewals process or typically a manual one with Excel spreadsheets, and they end up just renewing in perpetuity, but the customer's not getting any increased value out of the, the innovation or the technology that's come down the pipe. So the first thing I would say to manufacturers is, sure, automate the sub-$1,000 type renewals if you're in an antivirus vendor or something of that ilk. But protect means make an automated decision as to what you want to do at that event. There are some manufacturers that are selling three years. They don't want to send it sell a renewal. They want to sell a forklift upgrade or move them to cloud. So you've got to be careful when you say renewals are commodity because I don't believe that decision process at that point is a commodity, although people might look at it that way. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna agree to disagree, and I'm gonna move. <laughs> I'm gonna move to my mate Carl, who's gonna support me here because, <laughs> because Carl, what I meant by that before Scott rudely interrupted me, what 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 I meant by that is that if you if if you're in the channel and you're only having a renewals conversation, yeah, you're you're a commodity because it, the renewal is contested. The renewal is yeah, contested. Yeah. However, the the attach is not. The attach is actually proactive. Uh, value-added selling. And that that's evolving as well. So I'm going to agree with both of you. So, <laughs> well done, Carl. When we look at renewals, renewals, are if there are just fulfilled renewals that we wait to the 11 months to point to have that conversation, that's a complete failure. Yeah. And we see that and we know that and we measure that. And candidly, historically, our business that's how it worked. We, you know, we all procrastinate by nature and we wait till the end. But I think with the world transitioning to an uh, inner recurring revenue model, that ARR model that we're all, whether it's hardware or software, we're evolving to, what's happening is it's that layer model that's going into place. So it's about landing, adopting, expanding, and renew. And again, I think from Palo Alto, I'll say that we're very good at the land and growing the business and number of customers. We have a process around renew, but that adoption and expansion is is an opportunity for us with our partner community. Because Scott, to your point, 90 days after the sale is when that adoption clock starts. How do we make sure that they're adopting? Because they can't expand until they adopt. And we all know right now, especially with the the explosion uh, of the cloud providers and their marketplaces, it's so easy to change technology. So unless you have that customer experience at an all-time high that's there so when i think about my the evolution of my program it's all about the a and the e it's all about the adoption the expansion and that's where i'm going to be investing in having our partners or investing in paying our partners to grow and invest their skill set because we need that customer success model through the partners yeah i i i've got to agree and i'm going to i'm going to play around with this a little bit because um, everyone talks about the layer model. Uh, if you, if you uh, go back in time uh, at Distribution Central, we had this thing called LEAP, land, expand, invest. Uh, no. I don't. Uh, no. <laughs> it, was it was that good, though, Nick. It was mine. that good. Land, expand, yeah, it was that good. <laughs> land, expand, invest, 
um, protect. And um, it wasn't enough. When I looked at that and everyone started talking about beer and started to, to, you know, moving, you know, from land and expand, when I was semi-retired and bored, um, I played with this and realized that, that it's not. And that's when I came up with lips because the S bit is really important. That's the surrender bit. And the surrender talks to not only retiring of an asset because it's you know, changed purpose, all right, moving it into a graveyard or somewhere, um, and also therefore bringing in the next iteration of what that is going to solve that customer's problem, but also the movement to hybrid cloud, all right, from hard assets to, to hybrid cloud. So that surrendering process is just so important today. You have a strategy, that's important. Everyone who hears that goes, yeah, absolutely right, but how you execute. And Scott, you were talking about that, how you execute bit, because the surrender bit is absolutely vital because technology is changing so quickly. You know, how do you how do you manage it? How do you put your hands around that sale? I want to talk about that, but I want to talk about that through the lens of security and security risk. And let me give you my thesis and then you guys can adopt, can, can, can jump in. Um, and it's security risk with connected devices that aren't necessarily IT devices, IT devices. It's in the operations technology market or the industrial IoT market. And we could call them artifacts. They are connected devices that aren't managed. Massive security risk. And with that massive security risk is the opportunity to go in and have an installed base selling strategy. For us, it's always security first, because once you identify all those assets, it's security first. And once you initiate the strategy sound and it's in place, the motion's in place, then you can go in and do heavy prospecting with unsolicited proposals to get more value for the end customer for that. What are your thoughts around that, Carl? And I want your thoughts, uh, Scott, around how you actually successfully execute. Yeah, I mean, if we look at IoT and OT that you just discussed, I mean, talk about a market that's moving at lightning speed. Yeah. TEDx, the IT market. And, and that's, so how you get your arms around that, if you are a CISO or CIO, that's absolutely what's keeping you up at night. And now you look at it saying, well, the good news is we had control over this somewhat because we was an organization. Now everyone's working from home on different networks and how they're going about it and different Wi-Fi's. So the attack surface has increased dramatically. Mm. So again, what we look at is, again, when we say we have a holistic view at their environment, that's really how we need to, to look at it. So when we speak to customers, it's about, let's back away from point solutions and solving a point problem and holistically look at the market. And that's what we really try to do, especially if it's not yet fully managed to make sure that we solve that problem. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And Scott, what we're trying to do is tr train, train and teach on the strategy so that they can execute because the execution is there. The ability to execute is there. Understanding that strategy, understanding the ability that whatever you've got isn't going to cut it, but it's the start of adding more or changing or doing what you have to do to secure it and then get get bigger value. But and well, the example is a forklift truck, truck, right? Um, no longer do you buy a forklift truck, but you pay pay for ups and downs, right? And as soon as that yeah. ups and downs happens, which is a better way to consume forklift theory, you then <laughs> you then have if you're not securing it, you're you're gone. How do you execute? Yeah, I, I think I think Nick, the biggest point in the OT and IoT markets from a, with the cyber lens on, 
is that there are governments around the world, I think California's already done it, US federal government's looking at it, the UK's gone, Australia's looking at it, is um, you've got all these little devices going out, whether it be light, intelligent light bulbs, cameras, whatever it is, sensors, industrial automation pieces, that don't have any inherent security in their own right. So they're legislating that they must have unique usernames and passwords. They must get security software updates from the manufacturer. But the most important part is the manufacturer is obligated to notify the end customer when they're not going to get updates anymore for that particular device. Hmm. So there's a legislative piece that the manufacturers have to deal with. And of course, if you're trading through a channel, uh, most IT and OT manufacturers are not like IT manufacturers. They've they're very um, early in the channel piece or their channels evolved completely differently. You know, we run some mining manufacturers and, and you know, trying to get distributors to lift their game to IT distributors is going to take us a long time. But really it's about managing that process and making sure that the manufacturer through their channel is on the opportunity to cross grade or upgrade that uh, particular device out before its end of life. Now, my thing, I'm a very big, um, uh, well, not greeny, but let's say environmentalist. I'm trying, you know, I've got another business that I'm burying carbon into a farm, into the soil. Um, but the end of sale, end of life piece is also about what do you do with that particular piece of hardware? Where's it go? You don't want it to go into landfill. You want it to be deconstructed into its very quite valuable parts, rare earth, minerals, gold, etc. So there's also that component that some of these manufacturers are now having to deal with, especially with some of the EU compliance uh, legislation coming out. So there's a bigger play in that end of life. Yes, it means selling more or moving to cloud or uh, as is the case of one of our other security vendors, renting the box and then charging consumption, whatever that looks like. There's a whole bigger play around S that right now manufacturers, and I don't believe any of the distributors are, are dealing with properly. So I'll ask you a question. It might be out of scope, but you guys are smart guys. How does one find the, if you're, if you're a channel player, and you've got a professional services organization and try and achieve what you guys are talking about, how does one actually find the artifacts? Yeah, I, I think from our standpoint, what we're trying to do is, is change the conversation and who we're having the conversation with. It's not a traditional IT security conversation anymore, mm -hmm. right? This is a board level, CEO level conversation, about what their strategy is and where they're going as a company. And I know over my 10 year of Palo Alto Networks, I mean, we used to be in the engine room with the network security folks. And that's yeah. who we were selling to. And that was it. Now, they are, of course, are part of the decision. But to truly understand what the, the direction is and the evolution of the customer and understand their environment, it's the most senior levels. So, you know, it, it, it changed our partner landscape with who we partner with some, but it really changes the dynamic or the, the uh, characteristic of the salesperson that we're bringing on to be able to have those high-level conversations, because I think that's where it really learns. Because as Scott was saying, these are this is early days of this. So if we're not talking to the folks who are making the decision and driving the strategy, we're only gonna we're gonna catch yesterday's news and unfortunately be too late and not be able to help. That's at least what I see from my perspective.